This is Channel 253. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is the We Art Tacoma podcast. All right. Well, good afternoon and welcome to We Art Tacoma. My name is Amanda Westbrook, and I am sitting here with a fabulous local author. Fabulous. Fabulous. Tom Llewellyn, welcome to... Uh, Channel 253. You are a podcast uh, fanatic, you told us. I am. I listen to podcasts constantly. I, I commute to Seattle for my day job, and I am also an, um, uh, a fairly serious insomniac. So I listen to probably three hours of podcasts in the middle of the night every night. Oh, I love that. So for our listeners, uh, if you are someone who is like Tom, uh, go ahead and uh, – Check us out on the We Art Tacoma uh, 253 website and hit the subscribe button so you at 3 in the morning can be up with Tom Llewellyn and channel that energy and to know that there is somebody else who is awake besides you. I call those nobody hours when nobody is awake, but really in this day and age, we all are. We all are. We all are secretly um Checking each other out on Facebook and not commenting. That that trying not to comment. So, Tom, I want people to uh, get to know you. Uh, so in the first part of this interview, we're just going to talk about your life and your time in Tacoma. Um, and I also want to say hello to uh, my uh, co-host and the man behind the window, Mr. Doug. Hey there, Doug. Hey there. How are you? It's good to see you. It's great to see you. This is a groovy little place. The, the sad things about podcasts is that people can't see where we are. I know we post a picture, but this is such a like a little creative little man cave. It's got a lot of soul. It's it, and you have that sort of uh, concentrated soul because of the small space. Yes, yeah. It, it it screams. Think of something genius. In your life. There we go. So let's talk about uh, Mr. Llewellyn. Um, how long have you lived in Tacoma? Uh, almost exactly 25 years. Wow, 25 years. I know. So a lot has changed during that time. It has changed. Uh, it has changed a lot. You're right. I'm just going to say exactly what you said back to you. Okay, you're going to parry it, but I, I love that. It has changed a lot. So what brought you to Tacoma? I know that you grew up in a tilted house on the shores of Puget Sound, and it was so cold that the toilets used to freeze up, but you managed to stay warm because of your blankets. You've done your uh, author bio uh, research, <laughs> I can see. Of course I have. Yeah, that's actually true. So I grew up in uh, right by Redondo. Oh. Um, and uh, back when uh, waterfront housing was undesirable, my, my dad was a realtor and he bought the house for $13,000. It was like a ramshackly beach cabin and we jammed five kids and two parents into it. And um, it was just a great place to grow up. Uh, and it was just the coldest, draftiest house. My dad died when I was real young. So mom was just running the place by herself. 
And um, so nothing ever really got fixed or updated to speak of. But um, yeah, so I used to get ice on the insides of my windows and, you know, when the (laughs) north wind was blowing and you would pee through the the ice in the toilet sometimes in the wintertime to, you know, which, you know what, it was fine. It was so fine. I think about that now all the time when I, when I uh, procrastinate with home repair projects, I'm just like, eh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It doesn't really matter that much. You know, I mean... Saying that you you had ice inside the toilet bowl is such a, a wonderful colloquialism for parenting in the sense of stop complaining. When I was little, yeah, we yeah, had ice exactly inside right. of our toilet bowl. That's right. That's right. We you know we walked uphill both ways. That's right. My dad murdered us twice before breakfast. Lived in a shoebox. All those sort of. And we were grateful. That's right. That's, That's right. right. Speaking of, of five— I've been on a Monty Python kick lately, so if I make some Monty Python references, I apologize in advance. I have oh, been too, actually. Yeah. I love Monty Python. Monty Python and Eddie Izzard have been my two salvations since uh, a certain person took control of the Oval Office. So um, yeah, there, there we you go. go. I, I've had to delve you back into You find sanity that. in the insanity. I have. You almost swore. I almost did, but I tried not to. Uh, let's speaking of children, my dearest Tom Llewellyn, you and your incredible wife Deb, mm-hmm. and I have to say she is incredible. She was one of the first people I met when I came to Tacoma, mm. and uh, I can clearly remember her curly hair and Birkenstocks, and I thought she was the coolest spiritual person I had ever encountered, and I still think that Mm. to this day. How many kids do you and Deb have? We have four kids. Uh, They are, none of them are little anymore. No. Um, uh, My my boys, we have two biological sons, Ben, uh, who lives in Portland, and Abel, who's going to Evergreen. He's a soda, recent-ish soda grad who's now at Evergreen, the uh, soda of universities, and doing great there. And then we adopted two girls from Ethiopia, Bizayu, who is a senior at Stadium High School, mm. and Gannett, who is a sophomore there. Oh, my gosh. Who wow. just got asked to the to the homecoming yesterday from her boyfriend, Ari, who we also like very much. Oh, so. this is good. Now, have you given Ari the whole thing about pulling up and honking and you better have a pizza with you if you do that with my daughter. You know what? Ari doesn't have a car, but I have I have told Gannett, if you guys do break up, can Ari and I still hang out? And what was the answer? No. The answer mm. was no. All right. Okay. Well, this is, this is good to know. But I have to give you dad tender points for even asking about this. So let's segue into a little bit of writing here because uh, I have some wonderful background about your writing, but I want our uh, listeners to know how long you've been writing. Well, uh, I've always made my living as a writer. I've wanted to write since uh, I I remember literally in like fourth grade uh, going, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to write books. Uh, I I have not made my living writing books. Let's be very clear about that. but I went to UW in Seattle and uh, got an English degree with a creative writing emphasis. Uh, my plan was literally to publish novels and then get hired there as a prof because, they, of course, they would be you know anxious to have such a successful author working there. <laughs> and that did not quite work out. I, I, I submitted my first uh, book for publication while I was still an undergrad and uh, got a series of rejection letters, which if I got those same rejection letters now, I would realize how encouraging they were Mm. Um, because they were like, you know, you should really keep working at that. Those kind of handwritten notes, which are very rare, 
um, and those sorts of things. But it was so soul crushing to me. I just put the dream aside for about 15 years and just did nothing. And then uh, in my late-ish 30s, uh, started, uh, started trying again and got my first book published about almost exactly 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, these are all uh, kids' novels and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. I do, I do not delve into much adult writing. Thank goodness. I think we have enough adult writing in this world. Yeah, and if, you, and if I just stick with the kid writings, I don't have to deal with sex scenes. That's the main reason. Well, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. you, you want to keep that. that that's At least kind not of... as many. No, I should many. say, no, the answer is zero. There's none. Let's be clear. <laughs> and especially since your kids can now read those books. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so you mentioned a phrase that I think is really important to go back to and that it was soul crushing. Uh, at what point did your soul mend so you decided you wanted to come back and write at yeah, the age I think, of 30? I think the answer is that when you realize that the corporate world is sort of soul grinding and you're like, I got I to gotta find some way to keep my soul intact and uh, and then realize I didn't have to, you know, you don't have to make a living at this stuff. You, yes. can, you can find satisfaction in the doing, which sounds more, you know, probably new agey and positivity than I like to sound. But but I think it's true in that, like, if, if I can just enjoy the the actual just writing mm -hmm. and see what happens. And I, the, the other thing that happened is I went, oh, my gosh, I'm going to totally forget this guy's name, and I shouldn't. Um, I went to a talk at the Tacoma Public Library by a great writer who wrote a book called The Geography Club. Mm. And oh, it's and he is a niche writer. He writes towards gay teens. And the book was really successful at the time. I'm going to remember his name here as soon as Google tells me what it's what his name is. Um, but he he did a talk at uh, the Tacoma Public Library called "My 13 Year Overnight Success Story." Um, and Great it, phrase! It's such a good phrase, and it was so astonishingly um, Brett Brent Hardinger. Oh yes, he's a playwright, a local yeah, playwright. Yeah, he's a playwright too. That's yeah, right. Yeah, and now he's living. I think he's living like in uh, Norway, Amsterdam, someplace like that. You live in the dream, right? Yeah, so, he is. so that's exactly his story. Is he like he just struggled, wait, you know, doing you know food service and everything while he and freelance writing and whatever he could do to pay the bills while he was trying to publish novels and get plays uh, produced. And then all of a sudden, this book hit, and everything kind of kicked in. Mm. So it was this incredibly freeing thing for me to go. All right, I and I literally sat down and said, "I'm giving wrote down. I'm giving myself 15 years to become a published writer," and which was a really good time frame because it's a really hard, slow process. And, and then I did it in about five. So nice. uh, and then since that first book has come out, uh, I'm on my fourth published novel now. So incredible. So, yeah, not so bad. So when we think about uh, that that journey, um, you mentioned, you know, that Brett had some different uh, things he did basically to put food on the table. What's your day job? My day job is, has always been marketing of some sort. And I love my job. Um, I work at – I've been at Russell Investments for about 12 years. My current title there is – Director of Glo Global Content Marketing, which is like thought leadership. So mm -hmm. articles, research papers, blog posts. So I get to work with super smart people 
and help kind of take their super smarts and translate it into compelling, provocative language that people want to read. Nice. So it's not really all that different. It's the same skill set, weirdly enough, that you use to write kids' novels. Mm -hmm. uh, you're telling a story. You're trying to hook people. You're trying to create a little bit of suspense. Uh, it's just different subject matter, and I just I like them both a lot. So I have no complaints. Love my love my job. Want to keep it as long as I can. Blah I love blah that. blah. And and we're, I mean we're all children <laughs> at heart. So the fact that you can actually write for us, we appreciate that. That's cool. <laughs> Absolutely. So growing up, as you grew up, what did you read? Uh, I read uh, uh, my favorite uh, kids novelist was Roald Dahl mm -hmm. for sure. I read everything he wrote. Uh, I read a ton of Mad Magazine. Um, I had a I, my mom was a very conservative Christian fundamentalist woman who wouldn't let me watch, for example, I Dream of Jeannie. Oh, because uh, you know Jeannie was uh, scantily clad, and genies are slightly <gasps> on the dark side of the yes. uh, of the equal sign, and. Um, but she would let me read anything, you know, she didn't, as long as you were reading, it was good. So I was reading Stephen King and stuff when I was in oh like fifth my. grade. And Talk about being on the other side of the equal she sign. She just didn't look. If, if it was a book, wow. you were fine. And she just didn't even worry about it. So I had a Mad Magazine subscription, and I still I think of that as one of my oh. primary influences. I read tons and tons of uh, liner notes and albums, too. Um where all the good content is. You know, I think people always want to, to to list their astonishingly amazing inspirations, you know, of, you know, of their Hemingways and, and you know, whoever else. And uh, I think mine are more, yeah, Mad Magazine and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, Keith Richards. I was going to say, you have such a Rolling Stone-esque about you, that whole Cameron Crowe <laughs> liner notes type thing. Yeah, that's thing. cool. I'm, I'm cool with that. You'll, you'll take that. So let's talk about some of these hidden talents that you have. Speaking of, uh, uh, I, I just had this visual of you putting up a book with your mom, but having like the real book like inside of it so she couldn't really see what you were reading in case she happened to look over. Um so based upon that, you have uh, some musical uh, inclinations that I don't think our audience knows about uh, in the sense of a band. I was in a band yes. years ago with with my 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 most constant collaborator Lance Kagi, mm -hmm. um, who we've done a lot of different art ish projects together. And that's not my phone. Not mine either. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we were in a band called Wallpaper Pie for yes, about, you were. oh gosh, I don't know, seven years or something like that. And played a bunch around town and around the Northwest and, um, you know, mostly kind of the coffee shop and mm -hmm. college circuit, a little, a, a few bars here and there when we got really lucky. A little Shaka Bra Java. Yep, lots of Shaka Bra for yeah. sure. Yeah. And uh, another hidden talent that you have uh, is uh, Wicked. Uh, Christmas letters that you wrote to your children. Yeah, uh, that's so funny. I, but but you say I wrote them. I didn't write them. Well, you know, you were you were the you were the vessel. You just hand delivered them. <laughs> I hand delivered them from Santa Claus. That's right. right. You did. Yeah, Santa has sort of a 
kind of a long, scratchy uh, <laughs> script, and uh, yeah, he seems to know a lot about my kids. So Yes. So, Beautiful Angle, uh, for our audience uh, who doesn't know about Beautiful Angle, uh, the first thing I want to say is, have you been living under a rock if you don't know about Beautiful Angle? And that's me being sassy. Uh you are one half of that. And again, you mentioned Lance Kagey, who is uh, either your peanut butter or your jelly. I don't know which one he is, uh, but he's one, he's one of them. Uh, you guys are the dynamic duo, I used to call you, uh, of posters here in Tacoma. Um, and these posters are are sought after. We, you have a sale every year. I could do a whole hour on Beautiful Angle, which I want you to come back, both mm-hmm. of you, and yeah, be, great. be on the podcast. Most recently, uh, Beautiful Angle uh, took a stance that has been uh, a little uh, different than what the posters have been. In my opinion, the posters have been uh, very spiritual, very beatitude-oriented. And this poster that you put out was about Tacoma against Nazis. Mm -hmm. What's the thought behind this and why? Um, The most blunt reason why is I have two Ethiopian daughters. Bingo! I I have daughters of color and... um, they, their experience in life weighs heavily on my mind. I'm incredibly sensitive. I, I mean, my racism radar is always just turned up to high. And um, so we actually, and Lance is, has been incredibly supportive of this. And, and I shouldn't say supportive isn't even the right word. He's just like, I'm all in. And because um, he thinks of them as his family too. Yes. And um, so over the last three or so years, we have tried to get more intentional about this. And we've tried to think of how do we hand this, because we have this platform that has kind of connected, like you said, in, in Tacoma within its, you know, limited sphere, but still it's connected. Um, so we have tried intentionally, you know, within to kind of to a, probably still an, uh, an insufficient degree, but to, we've tried to hand off the platform to people with other voices. Um, so we brought in some guest artists of color and things like that to just try to make sure that this isn't just, you know, the point of view of two middle-aged white guys, which is exactly what we are. <laughs> when yes. we're very clear on that. Um, uh, so we've just tried to think of ways to do that. And then, and then this, uh, um, project came up where the the Tacoma Against Nazis people reached out to us and said, "Hey, would you ever be interested in collaborating on something?" And we just said yes, mm. and and then thought about what that poster should be. And and we before we did it, we met with a couple of the folks there, um, uh, uh, Hope and um, and Nate Bowling is another yes. guy who is um, fairly well-known around town. He's one of the Teacher of the Year guys. And he's a black uh, teacher at Lincoln High School. And um, so we want to make sure always that when we do this stuff, we don't do what we think is right. We try to consult and bring in people who live the experience and understand what it's like. So Nate made this really interesting comment. Like he says, this isn't my job. He says, it's the responsibility of white people to fight against white supremacy. It's a really unfair thing to ask people of color to do it because they are the target. So um, it's the people who are, you know, who are saying, no, this is not, you know, white people do not support this. You know, this is not the norm. This is the the evil fringe, to be blunt. 
And uh, it is so not okay. It's so bizarre to me, Amanda, that we even use the term Nazis now, that that's still a thing. It's so weird. So anyway, so yeah, so we made a poster and we thought who's the – if you're thinking of white people fighting against white supremacy, who's the image of that that comes most to my mind? And to me, it's Indiana Jones. Oh, absolutely. And it's so weird. I mean, and the idea behind that was you really want to be on the – you're okay associating yourself with the villain in an Indiana Jones movie? It's so weird. Mm, absolutely. But, um, so that's what the, the poster is, is uh, Indiana Jones in his kind of classic pose with his quote from – I think it's the the Last Crusade mm-hmm. movie where it's, it just says, Nazis, I hate those guys. Exactly. Will this poster be available to purchase in November when you have your, your big sale? Yes. And our big sale is on December 1st. Oh, sorry. December and, 1st. Um, yes, it will. Oh, good. Because I'm going to be in line to get one of those. Cool. We're going to take a, a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Tom about uh, his latest book, The Bottle Imp. Um, of Bright House. And uh, so take a quick break and do a little sponsor identification and we'll be right back. How do you balance changing the world with paying bills? Thanks to a new program at Pacific Lutheran University, you may not have to. Let me tell you about the PLU pledge. Here's the pledge PLU makes to new undergraduate students. If after you graduate, you have a full-time job and you make less than $40,000 per year, PLU will help you make your student loan payments. Got that? If you want to pursue your passion in, let's say, music, or you want to fight to make the world a better place through nonprofit work, but your paycheck just isn't where it needs to be yet, PLU will step in and help. It's one way that PLU invests in its students even after they've left the campus. And one of the many ways PLU works to be accessible and affordable for all students. Check out plu.edu slash PLU pledge to learn more because student debt shouldn't stand in the way of following your passion. Welcome back to We Are at Tacoma. I'm Amanda Westbrook, and I am sitting across from Tom Llewellyn, who is a local author here uh, of many, many books. And uh, this is the second part of our interview. And I want to talk with you about this book uh, that uh, is called The Bottle Imp um, of Bright House. First off... Um, my goodness, let's talk about where this is set, because this is exceptional. Mm-hmm. Uh, all my books are set in Tacoma. Yes. And um, just because I want, uh, if if, uh, if I'm a kid, I want to see it, in, and I'm a kid in Tacoma. I'm not. But if, if for kids in Tacoma, I want them to see a book. I want them to see characters that are doing things in places that they, they, they know. Yes. Um, my first book was called The Tilting House, and uh, there's a scene set in John's Barbershop, who was my barber. And uh, I went in there one day, and he goes, hey, some some kids brought in uh, your book for me to sign because they said I mentioned in it. I just – I don't know. That just really turned me on. So I've been doing it ever since. So this book is set uh, on K Street in the north end across the street in a fictional location, but it's across the street from Hank's. If you've ever been to Hank's uh, Tavern there, across from the corner store. Mm-hmm. And um, 
So, yeah, that's where the bright house mentioned in the title, that's where that is fictionally set. It's fabulous. I want to I want you to tell us about the illustrations here and who the illustrator is because this is uh it's exceptional who you have uh, to uh, help us step into the cover of the book. So the illustrator on this book, it's not a picture book, but there's like an illustrated cover mm-hmm. and kind of one illustration per chapter is a guy named Grizz Grimley, uh, who's a very, very cool cat. He's a lot cooler than I am. But he um, – and he's just done some really – he's done some work with some fairly big names. Mm-hmm. If you're a book nerd, he's worked with Neil Gaiman. My favorite. Uh, yeah. Uh, I am a total Neil Gaiman mm-hmm. fanboy. Uh, he had a he he did a really dark, creepy version of the Pinocchio story, and uh, sold the movie rights. And the movie was was on track to be produced by uh, uh, Guillermo del Toro of mm-hmm. um, The Shape of Water fame. Yes, uh, that deal looks like it's pretty much dead and fallen mm-hmm. through. But still, you still. know, uh, just rubbing shoulders with those names right. gets me gets me pretty excited. Like attracts like. So let's talk. Describe the plot line. Of this book. So this is a retelling of a really creepy short story by Robert Louis Stevenson called The Bottle Imp. And it's just a super tight little, little plot in that story that I completely ripped off. I say that, that story is public domain now, so it's fair game. And Robert Louis Stevenson admitted that he ripped it off from the Brothers Grimm, who mm. just stole it from somebody else. So um, I'm the last in the line. But anyway, the uh, the story is basically the devil introduces a bottle into the world that uh, you can make a wish on and kind of get whatever you want. But if you die with it in your possession, the devil gets your soul. And... Uh, and to get rid of it, you have to sell it. You you have to you have to buy it to get it, and then you have to sell it for less than you paid. So if you bought it for ten dollars, you have to sell it for nine ninety nine or less. If you bought it for fifty cents, you have to buy it for you have to sell it for forty nine cents or left. If you bought it for two cents, you have to sell it to somebody for a penny, and then they're stuck with it, right? Yes. And the devil gets his due. So the the whole plot just drives toward this sort of inevitable ending. Mm-hmm. And it does in this book, too. So I just like that. Uh, it kind of solved that problem for me. And then all I had to do was kind of fill in around it. Um, so I took a, the short story that's about eight pages and turned it into a 250-page book. So How long did it take you to write the, the first draft? This one was actually – this was the fastest thing I've ever done. It took me about a year and a half to write. I don't write full-time. I write mostly while commuting to and from Seattle. On the 590 sound transit, <laughs> woohoo! Um, and uh, but I'm a pretty disciplined commuter writer, um, so it took me about a year and a half to write, and then uh, we got a deal about six months later, and then it was about another year of edits mm-hmm. with the publisher, Holiday House. So um, the whole process, start to finish, was about four years, mm. which sounds slow. Unless you've been in publishing and realize that's pretty fast. Yes, absolutely. Who do you show your first drafts to, Tom, when you write? I used to show them around and I used to get readers to give me feedback. And now I don't show them to anybody. Not even Deb, your wife. I don't. I don't show her things until I I, I just I've stopped wanting feedback. I show them to my agent who's a great um, the esteemed Abigail Simone. And um She's a great editor. She gets it. She's, I mean, she works with me because she likes what I do. 
you know, anybody who does art, you know, we're all fragile egos. Yes, I we just, are. I just, you know, and and I think I know everything. <laughs> so you, you're you going to you're either going to say something to me that hurts my feelings, and I'm going to pout for a couple days, or I'm just going to disagree with you and say, "Well, that's stupid. You just don't get it." So I don't show them to anybody. Absolutely. Oh, well, I, I think I think that that's your prerogative. Um, I like to say. Often, this is what I know to be true right now in my life. Mm-hmm. And at the age of 55, I have some great lessons that I need to listen to. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure I don't know much at all anymore. Yeah, I don't either. I, I know yeah. what I don't know, and, and I stick by that. Yeah. Um, this book has uh, just the quintessential moral dilemma to it. Uh, how does this book reflect what's happening today in society? Well, I, I mean, it is very much the, you know, let me, before I answer that, let me say this is not a lesson book. This is not a big message book. Good to know. Um, this is just an adventure story, and uh, I hope it's a funny adventure story, and there's some suspense and things like that. Yeah, you might learn something along the way. That is not the primary intention. That said, it's about, I mean, it is very much about what's your soul worth, Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, what is it worth to you? What will you, what will you trade it for? And uh, I think there's a lot of soul swapping going on mm-hmm. these days. Oh, you said so. that well. So I want you to uh, – I've asked you if you would graciously read a segment uh, or an excerpt from the book. Sure. And as you find that, I want to say that uh, your comment about soul swapping is so so – uh, relevant. I, I find myself every single day waking up and wishing I had a superpower. And it has changed and distilled down as uh, politics have uh, kind of moved their way through our society. So this book to me is very, very timely because mm. my superpower changes every single day and I think my wishes would too. So uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, give us a little taste here. Sure. This is the uh, uh, just chapter one, just starting right off. This story is 98% true. What I mean by that, dear reader, is that it's just as true as I can stand to make it. Mrs. Appleyard said everyone lies. She knew better than most. Our late landlady lied all the time and cheated and ripped off everybody who lived in her building, the Bright House Apartments. And by late, I don't mean she wasn't on time. Late in this case means dead, as in the late Mrs. Appleyard, because I'm sure she's dead. Well pretty sure. When she was still alive and when something would break in our apartment, mom or dad would send me across the street to tell Mrs. Appleyard. Across the street was a tavern called Hank's Bar. Mrs. Appleyard spent half her time in one of Hank's booths staining the ceiling above her with against the rules cigarette smoke. I hated going over there because I could never escape without a five-minute conversation. It usually went something like this. Mrs. Appleyard, my mom wants me to tell you there's no water coming out of the shower. She does, does she? Well, then why doesn't she come over herself? Doesn't it seem strange to you that your mother, if she is your mother, sends a child to a tavern? Yeah, well, the uh, shower stopped working and she's got a head full of shampoo and no clothes on. (laughs) What's her name again? This woman you call your mother? Mrs. Appleyard took a swallow from her glass of red fizzy liquid. Um, Kathleen. Kathleen, so she's Irish, and she doesn't want you to come to a bar, but your last name is Silver. Isn't that Jewish? Uh, I think English and some other stuff. I don't really know. You don't know, but you do know this Irish woman is your mother? Yes, and I'm supposed to tell you the shower. I know. How do you know she's your real mother? 
I'm pretty sure. Mrs. Appleyard thought he knew his real parents too. He eventually found them. He eventually found out he was no relation. They bought him off a boat, if you can believe it, down at the docks. His parents took him home in a styrofoam cooler, same way you'd take home a catch of Dungeness crab. Then they lied to him about it. She took another swallow of her red fizzy liquid. It's been my experience and continues to be my experience that all people are liars. I know I'm one. In fact, I'm going to lie to you right now. She smiled. Tell your supposed mother that I'll be right over. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> well, I know what I'm going to have on my book stand next to all of the cookbooks and the Pablo Neruda is a copy of this. This is, this is fabulous. And when you say that you don't write books for adults— I don't. I don't write books for adults. This, well, okay. Yeah. Is that like one of those uh, animated things in the theater that that adults are supposed to enjoy as well as their kids? Is it kind of like that? Maybe. I mean, I there's definitely some adult jokes in there, and I like I like to poke fun at politicians and mm-hmm. and uh, you know other kind of establishment folks in that sort of way. Um, but. It's a weird thing, too. You know, what's the weirdest thing is is you write these books for kids, and then all the people who review them are stuffy old adult critics. Oh, lovely. And you're like, why? Why? It's so weird to have somebody who's so clearly not the target mm-hmm. audience judging your, your work. Absolutely. Yeah. There's smoking, do? drinking, racism, and uh, and death. And death. Exactly. All, all, all that by just walking across the street. Those are, those because are some of my favorite themes. Those, those, you know, all before breakfast, too, because the mom's washing her hair, so she must be going someplace. Uh, speaking of, of critic, critics and reviews, uh, one of the questions that we like to ask here on uh, We Art is, uh, who, Tom... Dear reader, as you said, um, who do you like? Uh, who are you currently uh, admiring and respecting here in Tacoma? What artist or what organization has caught your eye? Yeah, um, one one of my favorites. Since we're talking about writing, my one of my favorite um, orgs that I have supported for a few years is Write Two Five Three. Mary Fox, who's one of the uh, founders and directors of that, is a good friend of ours. Um, Beautiful Angle has done a couple, at least one, maybe just one, benefit uh, sale for them. Um, they do some really cool stuff. They do one uh, program called Raymond Hall Scholars yes. where they work with uh, kids who are in in, in the juvie um, and just give them a chance to kind of share their voice and share their story and super powerful stuff. And it's all written word stuff. So I love that. Another, you know, the other one that is not uh, a, an arts organization, but it's an art center is just King's Books. Oh, um, Sweet so Pea. Sweet Pea is just one of my one of my heroes, and just he is a force in this city. Yes, um, and it's a great place to buy this book if if you want to buy it. You know, Local. skip skip Amazon, and you Local. can you can buy it online through King's just as easily. Um, and it's just a literary center. It just keeps literary arts really healthy and alive in this town. So it does. support those guys. As do you, uh, keeping literary arts alive. Tom, 
I want to say uh, thank you for being here today and taking um, time out of your commuting schedule because this is uh, smack dab in the middle of the workday and you are sitting here right in front Don't of me. Don't say that. You can't You can't tell my boss oh, that I'm doing this but during the workday. I, 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 I sense that you have a fever <laughs> and your eyes are glassy and your throat is scratchy. So. Yeah, no, this, is, this is my uh, work from home day. So I'm working right now, That's Toby, right. in case you're listening. You're listening. Tom, thank you so very much. Thanks, and I Amanda. look forward to having you and Lance back on again for Beautiful Angle. That'd be great. All right. Mr. Doug, what are you looking forward to uh, since Tacoma is, um, uh, actually October, excuse me, is Tacoma Art Month. What are you? What's on the horizon? My pronunciation will be, will be bad, but uh, the Tacoma Art Museum does a, I think, a two-day event um, celebrating. Dias de la Mertas. Thank you. You're welcome. So, so that's where you're headed, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, I have my eye on the Eastside Community Center, which has just opened up, going to open up on uh, October 20th, this Saturday at 10 a.m. I had them on my uh, TV show, and I am all over that place. I can't wait to see the recording studios, speaking of recording studios. Um, and I just think it's going to uh, just be an incredible opportunity for the community to come together over there. So the ribbon cutting is there. Everything is free. Everybody. Children, families, dates, partners, you name it, dogs and cats, get over there and check it out. So that's my pick for the week. All right. Thank you so much for you for listening, and we will see you next week on We Art Tacoma. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.